I'm Buddy Martin, and this is the Best Fridays in Football podcast with Urban Meyer and Terry Bradshaw. Time now to hear from Coach Urban Meyer on the Urban Meyer podcast on the Best Fridays in Football. And uh, here we go. We got football, one game canceled, things changing. Boy, and last week, a good bit of controversy about officiating and about game management. Coach Meyer, what did you think about that last week? I just think 2020 is going to go down in the record books as uh, just a capital W-O-W next to a wow. I mean, every week seems to be something. And, uh, you know, you just had Wisconsin cancel the game against Nebraska. You know, Florida had to sit out, and and you still have a lot of positive results. And, you know, the amazing thing is you never hear about any hospitalizations, but they're positives. You know, the Big Ten has a rule that you have to sit out 21 days. And that quarterback just went, I think, 17 of 18 or 21 of 20, some some ridiculous number, and he's out now. And is he really out for three weeks? You know, so I I don't know. I, I just think it's a very interesting year. There will be all kinds of asterisks next to uh, this season. Uh, you saw officiating error when they just uh, – and then officiating error, the SEC comes out, acknowledges it, and then they still find the coach twenty five thousand uh, dollars for making a comment. I, I, if you remember, I got fined in two thousand and nine uh, for making a very. If someone asked me a question and I commented on. It, I got fined thirty thousand dollars by the SEC, and it was very. What I said, yeah, I just I I didn't agree with the call. So it's a, it's amazing storylines right now. Well, you weren't on Twitter either. So yeah, and and Lane Kiffin was on Twitter and he brought it on himself. But you know what? I think most people were saying, you know what? It's worth the twenty five k for him to do that because really, to be honest with you, Urban, he got screwed. They got screwed. They didn't review that play, which brings up the interesting question about what do you do when you're sitting there? And this is what on where the league office is actually complicit because that game is owned back in Birmingham. They saw that. Nobody buzzed in. When the kid clearly, well, I say clearly, I'm 100% sure something happened, looked like his finger touched the ball on the punt return, which would have changed the outcome of that game for for, for Mississippi against Auburn. And uh, they didn't even replay it. So that I understand missing calls, and you do too, but I don't understand neglect and negligence on something about not even having a replay. Yeah, I've never agreed with the fact when a player – you know, a player uh, targets a guy, they kick him out of the game. Everybody in the country knows who he is. The announcers talk about him. Uh, obviously, when coaching errors are done, it, but when an official makes an error, no one really tells what happens to that official. If it's a, you know, the, the, the result should be, you know, I think the guy either loses his job or there, but the public has a right, most importantly, have a right to know what happened to the, a flagrant miss. You know, I'm not talking about a guy in the field. A guy in the field is not going to see that. But the person upstairs, that's his only job. And there has to be – that has to be made public. You know, there's a lot on the line here. Everything else is public. You know, 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds are public. You're telling me the 55-year-old guy that makes a error like that, people should say, okay, this is, the, the, this is the stance that the SEC is going to take. They're going to punish him for six months. They're going to – He's going to lose his job. I mean, whatever. Uh, but I just think that people ought to know that that they take it very serious. Because I'm I'm actually a big fan of officials. I think most of the time they're right. Matter of fact, high high percentage of the time they're. I've always supported officials. Uh, 
But I, I think in this one, when I watched that, I was like, I can't believe, I cannot believe that happened. Yeah, no, I was going to ask you about the next question about your relationship. You kind of settled that issue. When you were young and maybe a little hot-headed, like we all were, uh, you were different. Now you come to a point where you've learned that basically the call is the call. You say your piece, but as long as you show respect for what they're trying to do, because they're good guys. They got families. They're trying hard to do get it right. And sometimes they screw up. Guess what? They aren't by themselves on that part. So how did you make peace with that? And what can you tell young coaches about officials that might be helpful in terms of how to do it right? Well, I, I read a book called Lead for God's Sakes, and it was a a story about a high school coach. And, you know, you as a leader, you know, you, I, I live by the E plus R equals O, which is event plus response equals outcome. And your response to events leads other people. I know that's very deep, but your, your R, uh, how you respond to an event, which is an R, is an E for those you lead. So if I want to yell at officials all the time, if I want to throw headsets, if I want to, you know, in the book, the, the coach kicks the water Gatorade cooler and, and spills all over the court because he's arguing with officials. So what happens? His players see him do that. And his best player gets thrown out of the game or something, and he goes punches the locker because or punches the Gatorade because he saw his coach do it. He breaks his hand. He's out for the year. So basically, his coach is saying this behavior is okay. And so I would think about it. You know, why would I ever rant and rave at officials? They're probably right. Uh, all it does is justify now players start. You know, and I always preach my players go to the next play. That one's over. Go to the next play. So I just trained myself over the years that. You know, I really didn't spend much time talking to officials. I, you know, there's been times I got in a couple arguments with them, but I move on to the next play because that's what I expect our players to. And when I see coaches just rant and rain and scream and yell, and, you know, uh, I just think that's a bad thing to let your players know that that's okay. You know, you can handle it after the game like a grown man and say, you know, this, the, you were wrong. Now tell me what's going to happen and how we move forward. And, and there's been some really bad cases of uh, incompetence in terms of officiating this year, particularly in the SEC. You mentioned one. There have been several. Uh, talk about the process because you went through this. You had to go – you call the league office or you talk to them, and you can't say, like Lane Kiffin said, I wish I could tell everybody what they told me. And, and so what what was it like for you when you did make an appeal, and how were you received in the SEC in Birmingham and, and in, the, in the Big Ten office when you called or commented and said, can I just ask you to review this and tell me what happened? How does that work? Uh, it's, it's actually very respectful. You call in and, and uh, you say your piece. You actually grade the officials each week, and you – not necessarily grade up, but you turn in plays, and then the SEC head of rules committee. I can't remember who the SEC guy is now. I think it's Bill Corolla in the Big Ten, or it was when I was there. And he was great. He would he would respond. We'd have conversation about it, and not always agreeing, but always being very respectful. So, like I said, the one thing about officials, they're right 90, 90 plus percent of the time. Uh, especially, I'm not talking about on the field because on the field happens so fast, but. The replay, I mean, really, in my mind, you're in a confined environment. It's not noisy. It's not It's in, not in real time. In my mind, that person should never make a mistake because you can re replay it, replay it, replay it. Uh, so, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a really good process. I, I'm not a I, – I I, the only thing I think they, they should be made public about what the conference does to the official that makes an egregious error, not, not a – you know, you miss a holding or something. But when it costs a game, there's a lot of people out there working really hard. 
to win that game. Most, you know, the only people that count are the players. All right, we're talking about what happened in the Penn State Indiana game last week and how you saw it, what happened there, and uh, what your thoughts were about that. Oh yeah, we're going to do that on Big Noon Kickoff, and I went right to my. I have a. Uh, I actually keep it on my, my iPad, but I have uh, the two minute or the two uh, two point chart. One to go for two. It's the game management of scoring, and then they also have the game management we call the four minute offense, and that's how to close a game out. You know when to grab a knee, how much time, how much a play, co- how many seconds a play cost takes, and so right when I saw it was a minute forty seven, one timeout, and so I went right to my sheet. And it said you can kill the game, and that means kneel that kneel, and the game's over at 122. So Penn State was right; they had one run, one more play, one more play, and then. Uh, but Indiana was aware too, and they said that this game's over if they, you know, if they run one more play. So they made the decision to let them score. So they do. In 35 years of coaching, I never experienced it. We've talked about it. Uh, there's been, you know, that that was an error. Penn State made an error. Who made the error? That's that's none of my business. But it was an error because the game was won if the player takes a knee after he gets the first down. But like I, I we, me and you were talking earlier, there's so many scenarios that have happened, and I've made mistakes. You know, you're talking about the greatest coach in modern history, Nick Saban, when he kicked the 60-yard field goal and they kicked six and they ran it back. You know, I never saw that either. That was the first time I've ever witnessed that. I can promise you, we practice it every Friday because we saw it happen and it probably won't happen again for another 30 years. Uh, Les Miles had one, another national champion coach in 2009, the clock ran out against Ole Miss on the nine yard line and with one second left and they were trying to clock the ball or, or down the ball and you can't, there's no time. So everyone put in a last second play where you just throw it in the end zone and tell your receivers to get in the end zone to try to win the game. Once again, never happened. So people live and learn. Uh, the, the, the real hard part is that the Penn State players are the ones that are, are going to suffer because they, you know, they realistically won that game. Kind of messed up the Big Ten situation, having Indiana knock off Penn State. Now we don't have that showdown that we thought we might have. Yeah, Penn State's, uh, you know, Ohio State, I think, is in a class by himself. You know, the, the talent level right now at, at, in Columbus is, I made a comment that every player in offense will be drafted, you know, When's the last time you could say that? I mean, every player and the majority of the backups. Uh, so it's very strong. The Wolverines did look good. Penn State still, they had 500 yards and gave up only 200 some yards. So they dominated the game, but they just didn't play well. They, a lot of mistakes. Uh, and then obviously the way the game ended, you know, Tom Allen at Indiana, the coach and that quarterback, they did a great job. And, you know, it was a gutsy call to go for two to win the game, but the right call. Well, we had a little situation where Ryan Day had, or felt like he had to apologize for what happened in this game. Describe what happened there Saturday. Uh, obviously, uh, Buckeyes won big, and uh, everybody expected him to take a knee, and it didn't work out that way. And he had to. He felt like he had to apologize to Scott Frost. Yeah, there was 18 seconds left, and we've been in those situations. And the right thing to do is to take a knee and, and get off the field, and never, you know, unless there's some ill will. But I know there's not. You know, Scott Frost and Ryan are friends. And, Scott's a good guy. Nebraska's a traditional program. And, and I think at the moment, you have a young quarterback out there, first time playing uh, Miller, uh, Jack Miller, and, and he wanted to let him run one more play, and he did, and the kid scored. And you scored with 18 seconds left to put you up by, you know, 30 point or whatever it was. And so that just doesn't look good. It's, you know, you're not playing, you know, I, we got criticized in the year we beat Wisconsin 59 to nothing. Um, 
but we had to, to get into the playoff. We had to make a statement, which I don't agree with, but you, you know, you have to do that. So yeah, I, I think Ryan handled it the right way after the game. And I think Scott Frost handled it right. You know, it just was one of those moments that he wish he had back. Urban, uh, who's in your top four? Top four is Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and I kept the Gators in four. I just still think, you know, I don't think there's a clear-cut four. Can go. We're going to find out who the four is when Georgia and Florida play, if they both continue to win, because I think they're both talented. I worry about the quarterback situation to Georgia. You know, the defense at Florida, historically, it's been really, really good, uh, not just the last year, the last few years, and really for a long time. You know, defense has not been the problem. Offense, now they have a good offense. I just don't know, you know, it could be Notre Dame. Uh, they're looking, you know, they just pounded Pitt. So I almost put Notre Dame in there. The fourth spot is the money spot. No one's quite sure who that is. Urban, uh, going back to the Swamp this week, as the Gators are doing for the first time uh, since they were there uh, early in the year for the South Carolina game, uh, you know that stadium very well. You coached for seven years, a lot of juice. They're right on top of the people, the energy levels high. Some people worry that the layoff and the COVID and all that are going to take the edge off. They can only get fifteen to 70,000 fans in. Uh, you know, how much of a factor is that at uh, the Swamp? And would that have an effect on the players, on the coaches, on the, on the crowd, whatever? How much of a factor will that crowd and the layoff be for the Gators in Denmark? Well, the crowd will be an absolute uh difference maker especially in the swamp at night you know if that's if it's a night game i'm not even sure but the swamp is unique it's one of those it's one of those top 10 and top five environments that when it's cooking now it is cooking um i know that helped us win many games and uh, our fans and especially our student body that they were nuts and now that's gone however what's even more pressing is the fact i believe they were off for two weeks and i read that i texted with coach mullen you know, I don't want to bother them, but I, when I read it, I was like, were they really off for two weeks or did they, did they practice or someone told me the offices were closed? Uh, I can't, I don't, I, I have a hard time believing that the players were off for two weeks. Cause I don't know how you get a team ready. Uh, I don't know how you get a team ready if you give them off for two weeks. And I mean like off, off. And, and maybe you can help me with that. If they were really off, like sitting in their apartments off, you you got a major problem. That's that's that you can't even put that in the same breath as not having fans in the stand because you'll overcome that. I don't know if you can overcome sitting on your tail for two weeks before, during the season. Of course, we don't know much, but I talked to a player's father who told me they were off off, uh, and 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 you know they're, they're you know they're throwing the ball around. Obviously, Kyle Trask is a gem rat. He's always throwing the ball. He, I'm sure you found somebody to to catch balls for him. But but yeah, I get the feeling that they were off, and I think Dan senses that. I don't know how much they did. They had no organized stuff. They did some Zoom meetings, you know, had some conversations, but they, they did not have any organizational meetings, and uh, they didn't practice. And I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see how it's going to work out. Good news is they'll be rested. The bad news is, well, they'd be in shape. Oh, man. No, I, I don't know where you start. I mean, that's two weeks. You know, I, I don't uh, – if that's legit and they – you know, Zoom meetings, enough with the Zoom meetings. If I hear that word again, if I was a coach, I'd throw my computer against the wall. I don't want no more Zoom meetings. You know, you're trying to run a program, you're trying to win games, and it's very important. So, you know, you got to do what they tell you to do, I guess. But my gosh, if you're asking that coach and that team to get ready after two weeks of sitting on their uh, tails in their uh, apartments or wherever they're at, uh, I'm, I would be very alarmed. That's a competitive disadvantage. 
Yeah, and the, and the question we're all asking, especially in the media guys that do shows and stuff, is who does that affect the most? You know, you got your timing on your offense, which is critical, the way they run the ball, the way they throw the ball, and their timing. And you've got your defense, which has st- struggled a bit and needs to be physically fit and strong. They will get some return of players like Kyrie Campbell, which will help them, but they have kind of been batted around in the front lines a little bit this year. So the question is, which side of the ball is the most affected by it? The offense, which, of course, was really humming when we last saw them, or the defense, which is still getting its act together and trying to find out how to stop some plays on third down? Uh, you, you you can't quantify that, buddy. It's it, it's destructive on all areas. You know, you didn't mention special teams. You know, it's 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 completely destructive. Uh, uncharted waters, you know, in the history of college football, I would say that never happened before. A team had to sit down two weeks midseason after a loss. Uh, you know, you had to eat that thing because the best thing about a, a football is after a loss, the best thing you can do. And I, I remember I changed it. We had a terrible loss. It was Ole Miss in uh, in 2008 when we lost to Ole Miss, and I couldn't take it. So I we called a practice. Sunday was their day off, and I said, you know, heck with that. We got to get this loss out of our minds out of our taste out of our everything so we pra- i called him in and we had a spirited practice on sunday just to get around the people you love you care about and get that darn loss off your mind and now that you know if that if that really happened they had to sit and take that for two really it's going to be three weeks then right since they last played yes and and the brand that, that's terrible. Make it, yes and to make it even that's worse terrible, but, it, but listen to this they got Georgia next week, and because of election day, the NCAA says they can't practice. So, so they got to now move, have a Sunday practice. I mean, this kind of all screwed up. I, it's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, there's uh, my seat on Fox Noon, uh, big noon kickoff is uh, very comfortable. And after sitting watching all the stuff these coaches and players are going through. A uh, couple things, Durbin, uh, before I let you go. Thanks very much on good data to chat football. Always a good day to talk ball with you. I really love doing it. Uh, and we're going to have Ask Urban in just a second here. And by the way, a message from Terry Bradshaw. He's trying to see what he can do by getting his bourbon up in your place for the <laughs> bourbon with Urban deal. So so we'll we'll work on that when we got more time. But anyway, he thought that was really a good, cool deal for the restaurant. Uh, so so uh, Carlos Alvarez, I know it's a long time ago. I know people say, my gosh, it's a half century. I don't know about all this stuff. And it's hard to know that history. But you're a little bit aware of it because you knew the history. Uh, I don't think you knew the full history, as a lot of people didn't, by the way. And the special on Alvarez this week, uh, the All-American Cuban Comet, highlighted not just his great stats and his work, and his, but his nature. Give, giving voice to athletes was something he did 50 years ago. The things they're trying to do now. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, there are his records. And while you were there in 2007, Andre Caldwell broke his receptions record. I forget the number. It might have been about 176 career or something. Of course, Carlos did it in three seasons. Uh, and, and Caldwell had uh, actually four over four and three games. So, so, But still, nothing to take away from anything from Andre. What do you remember about that? Have you met Carlos Alvarez? And what do you think he, what do you think he meet, means to the program at Florida? Well, life's all about relationships and relationships are all about how people treat you and you treat them. And my respect for Carlos Alvarez isn't because he was a great player 50 years ago or, or actually that, you know, I respect that he had the Cuban ancestry and 
you know, it's really an amazing story, but why I really have the deepest uh, respect for Carlos is we did meet and we met several times. We actually had dinner together one time and he was so supportive. You know, every coach at big time schools like Florida, all you want is support. You know, you don't, you know, there's also people that maybe didn't like the way we threw the ball or ran the ball. Or, and you know, I didn't have much time for people like that. I'm talking about former players, you know, the, the former players that are, because my opinion, the former players are there to do one thing, support the coaches and players. That's it. Really have no other function because your time's gone. You know, someone supported you, support your team. And Carlos, I couldn't be more to this day. I'm indebted because he, he like many of the, uh, uh, former Gators just was over the top supportive of our staff and the players. Well said. Oh, by the way, uh, we know the Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin game is canceled. Well, apparently Nebraska has a new game. They're going to play Tennessee Chattanooga in that spot. Wow. I didn't know that, but they're good for Nebraska. That coach is very aggressive and trying to do the right thing. So good for them. Yeah. Works out for them. Okay. You ready for ask urban? Sure. Okay, this is Roy from Nashville has two questions. Can the Tide continue to roll on offense without Waddle? And I was very impressed with the wide receivers from Ohio State this past weekend. Does Ohio State have the best wide receivers in the country? I guess that's two questions. Well, Waddle, to me, would be like the Percy Harvin. Uh, you know, he, he was ridiculous. And you remember uh, against Florida State in 2008, we lost Percy. And Percy uh, had a hairline fracture in his ankle when the kid twisted his, the Florida State player twisted his leg and, and uh, obviously a major blow to our championship run. Uh, but a guy named David Nelson picked up the baton and went. And he scored a touchdown, if you remember, against Alabama. And then he yep. scored a touchdown, the game winner against Oklahoma. So there has to be someone. The good thing is Alabama's got talent's not an issue. Obviously losing an elite, elite player. So unless someone else picks up the rifle and goes as well, which is going to be hard, or others around them elevate their game to – because you can't lose that production. That's the bottom line. And that was my message always to players that, okay, David Nelson is not Percy Harvin, but you know what? David Nelson is going to be fine. That means, Lewis Murphy, you have to elevate your game. That means, Riley Cooper, you have to give us that much more. Jeffrey Demps and and Chris Rainey, we need you to give us that much more. If we all give more – We'll be fine. So that's got to be the message, and I'm sure that's what Coach Saban's doing. Second question, Chuck from Waco, Texas. I'm a huge Oklahoma State fan. I've seen a lot of chit-chat about the Pokes being in the national championship discussion. Do you think Oklahoma State is one of the best four teams in the country? I, I don't think it's fair to even put them there yet. I, I On purpose, uh, I have not had that conversation. You know, I know Reggie Bush on our set, our set thinks really – I think this one, if they can win this one, you know, offensively, defensively, they're certainly one of the best, but still they're not, they have not played great offenses yet. You know, the average offense they played was I think 60th in America. So uh, all due respect, I think they're having a great season. Uh, are they one of the top four teams in America? Not yet, but they're certainly on the watch list. Okay. And finally, a question from Michelle in Evanston, Illinois. I'm not sure I understand it, but what do you think, Coach, of the situation in Madison with the Badgers? Did the Big Ten mess up by not playing earlier like the ACC, Big 12, and NCC? Well, I think that's going to be uh, uh, one of those questions that's going to be around for quite a while. Uh, there's a lot of criticism the way the Big Ten handled it. 
you know, I actually had lunch recently with the president of Ohio State, and she kind of filled me in about the story about how it all went down. And once again, there was no template. So I, I think you're beyond me the time of complaining and whose fault it was and everything else. There, you know, you can't say it's really anybody's fault. It is you just got to keep moving forward. And the fact, Madison, you know, I, I think they need to revisit the uh, 21-day rule. You know, I, I'm not sure how they came up with that number where other schools are 10 days. You know, I, I think they need to revisit that. Good stuff from Coach Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's podcast is heard every week on the best Fridays in football. You can catch him, of course, also on television with Big Noon Saturday. Got special stuff planned. Coach, looking forward to the show. Always enjoy it, buddy. Take care. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Thanks very much, Urban. This week, Terry Bradshaw is on assignment, as they say, so it gives me a chance to talk about one of my favorite players of all time. Some younger fans got educated about a college football legend from Florida this week until they saw the SEC storage All-American Cuban comment on ESPN. Most of them thought that Carlos Alvarez was a name in a dusty old record book. What they found out was, as fine a player as he was, and as fine a person as he was, his cultural background is absolutely fascinating. As one young fan said to me, he was their Jackie Robinson. The baseball metaphor fit when I caught up with Carlos. He wanted to talk about a couple of Cuban baseball players. I know one of your true heroes is mentioned in the video. I've not seen it. It's called a video. It's a documentary. Uh, And and I know we've talked about him before. And now there's another Cuban-American. Talk about Manny Misoto, who was the Cuban comment great player for the White Sox, and why you chose him. So, Minnie is, to me, is the Babe Ruth of Cuban baseball. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, he was, he was uh, starting to play in, in, in uh, the league here in the States. But in the Cuban League, which was four baseball teams, he was in the Marianao team. I, you know, I remember this vividly. I, uh, um, you know, almost 70 years later, um, and Minnie was just a, a superb player. And so he became, he ended up in the major leagues, but he couldn't play for a long time because of the color barrier. Uh, and then he started to play and then he became uh, a legend for the White Sox. And he is considered Mr. White Sox. And he's got some records for longevity and all of that, a little bit tricked out. But the guy was, uh, played baseball for a long time, was a a great base stealer, a wonderful outfielder, and really seen as the best baseball player out of Cuba, certainly in his generation. 
if not ever. Um, and that's saying a lot, by the way. So, it, yeah, I know. And I mean, great baseball, uh, as you know, great baseball players out of Cuba. And just by luck, and this is afterwards, because I've talked about many uh, all my life. In, in, uh, in fact, when I became a member, when I got selected for the College Football Hall of Fame, um, I learned that many was not had, had not been selected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and I just couldn't believe it. And because he was not able to play baseball for a good, I don't know, uh, six or seven years in the major leagues because of the color barrier, then he didn't have the the incredible statistics to get him there. Although he's got really, really very solid statistics. And he's never been selected to the uh, to the to the Hall of Fame, which I think is a shame. And I, I've, I've talked about that because I think it's shameful. But and here's here's the incredible part of it. So my nickname becomes the the Cuban Comet, and I didn't know this until about ten years ago. Minnie Minoso in, in the Midwest of the U.S. because he played for the White Sox. He, that's, he played for a couple of teams, but the White Sox are the ones he's known for. <clears throat> he was called the Cuban Comet. And um, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And then I looked his, uh, you know, what it, what his physical dimensions are. They're exactly like mine. 5'11", 175, 180. Wow. We were like the same height, you know, uh, same weight. Uh I don't think I could have caught up with Minnie. I mean, Minnie was really, really fast. He could fly. I mean, I thought I had speed, but but Minnie was really, really fast. He he led the American League in base stealing. Um, it, it, it was an unbelievable coincidence, and um, so you know, it, it it ties me to my Cuban roots in a really nice way. I think of him. Uh, very, very fondly, and and really, he is thought of in the Chicago area as Mr. White Sox, right. and thought of very fondly there too. Right. And you know, it's funny because we 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 see now Randy Rosarena, yes, uh, Rosarena, um, who is a Cuban baseball player, and he is also the same size as many five eleven. He seems a little bit stockier, and he uh, uh, many could hit a home run too. He often uh, was a leading hitter. But uh, Randy, obviously, what he has done with uh, with the home run during uh, during the playoffs yeah, has been record. nothing short of amazing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was fun, and it was fun, and, and you could, you know, what was really fun if you if you love sports in any way. When he slid in that fourth game, yeah, exactly. you know, uh, the ninth inning, and he was just tapping it and uh, smiling. I was just going to bring that up. Just kept hitting it. That was pure know, joy. It was a lovely, <laughs> lovely moment. That's what sports is all about. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'll watch anything to watch that. I could watch any sport to see that kind of joy yeah. that he had at that moment. He was totally lost in yeah. the moment yeah, right there. I can't believe this happened. Touching the base, it was a lovely moment. So, uh, so yes, it's it's a it's a nice uh, it's a nice circle that you can uh, create in sport, and it was a uh, you know, it was a beautiful thing to see. It was beautiful, and it reminds me of a guy shimming up a flagpole in the Orange Bowl and getting to the top of the flag <laughs> and smiling and looking past all of his frustrations of years of what might have been. Uh, and celebrating in a unique way, that, of course, would be you. I'm told that Gaspar Gonzalez, who was the producer, didn't really know that existed. 
He happened to hear it or read it, I guess maybe in my story, uh, and he went and looked for it and found it. And it's the only time I've ever seen a video of you at the top of that flagpole after winning that game against Miami. We got to talk about it. Tell me about it, that moment. Yeah, I we did find it. <laughs> I just can't believe it. And in fact, I'm not sure I totally remember that. You know, it's one of those moments that you're just acting on on in the moment. And I, I, um, I kept hearing that I had done that. I thought I, I knew I had dove into the pool, but uh, so to set it up, it's the last game of my career, and we're playing in the Orange Bowl, and uh, the Orange Bowl had a uh, a pool where they would uh, put a dolphin in during the dolphin uh, whenever the Miami Dolphins flipper. Played. It was we're, flipper, we're playing, yeah. 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 So we were, we were, uh, we were playing the hurricanes and, um, some of us, some of us had talked about, look, you know, we win this. If if we win this game, we ought to just dive into the pool. It's the last game of the seniors. You know, you know, this is a great, be a great way to end it. And, um, there was some, you know, back and forth with the Miami players that, you know, we, there was always some tension there. And um, so anyway, we played well. And as it ends up, um, John Reeves, mm-hmm. uh, my quarterback, who you know, all the Gator fans should know him. Yep. He was just, you know, the best, the best, the best, the best. But anyway, John breaks the, uh, the NCAA record on, on that famous Florida flop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can go into that later, but the Florida flop where we, we let Miami score because we needed the ball back so we can have about another 15 yards Correct. to break the record in the fourth quarter. And Miami wasn't trying to score. Miami had just figured out that they didn't want John Reese to break the record. Right. I still think it was the right decision, although it's controversial, mm-hmm. but I still think it was the right decision. We let them score. We picked up the ball and I happened to catch the pass that, uh, that uh, broke that record for John and uh, so we were all ecstatic because John had been really the, so much a heart of that team, um, you know, and he has, he had worked so hard really for, for the years there. And it just, we were all delighted, just delighted for John. And as soon as the game ended, um, the, the band, the Florida band was playing Jesus Christ superstar. Remember that. And the whole team, including trainers just ran into the dolphin pool and we dove in and we were just celebrating in the dolphin pool and there was a flagpole there and I climbed it and I don't even know how I climbed it. Cause it, you know, it's kind of slippery, especially with the whole uniform, but I did, there's the picture. And, um, and, and I shot a peace sign at the top. I remember that. And, um, typical hippie, typical it hippie. A great, great way to end. Great way to end. You know, you know, buddy, it's a great way to end up, if you think about it, the era, the era of the 60s and early 70s. Yeah. I mean, what else? You know, we had the, the civil rights, the Vietnam War. Uh, we had uh, going to the moon. We had Woodstock. I mean, my goodness, we had things happen. We had the the the, the horrible death of Martin Luther King and, and uh, Kennedy. I mean, it was... It was uh, a tumultuous time, and uh, it almost was the perfect ending to those tumultuous times and uh, kind of like a, a new beginning. 
Thanks very much, Carlos, and all the best to you. We've got a new segment looking around the SEC with journalist Cassidy Hill of Gatorbait, who's looking in on what's been going on. Cassidy? Hey guys, it's me, Cassidy. Let's whip around the SEC. We're going to start at home where the number 10 part of Gators returned to action on Saturday night beneath the lights after two weeks off. In what has become a bit of a tradition under head coach Dan Mullen, the Gators will celebrate the homecoming game with throwback uniforms. These will feature the beloved Block F helmet. More notably, the helmet will be blue. Last season, Florida defeated the Auburn Tigers in the throwback unis, but this will be the first time in decades that the blue helmet will make an appearance. More important than uniforms, though, is just the opportunity to get back on the field in the swamp for only the second time all season. Quarterback Kyle Trask says the team can't wait to return for the Halloween night game. Um, it's really exciting. You know, Missouri, they have a lot of talented players. They like to play real aggressive, you know. Um, just a great overall team, you know. We have to be on our A game come Saturday. And, and at the end of the day, like I said, it was, it's just really exciting to finally get back on the field on Saturday after, you know, you sit at home and you watch two games straight and you're just, you know, you're kind of missing being out there. So um, a lot of our guys are just happy and, you know, ready to get back out there. Florida's December 12th opponent, LSU, will be facing the Auburn Tigers on Saturday, and they may be without starting quarterback Miles Brennan for the second week in a row. After starting the Tigers' first three games of the season, Brennan missed the win over South Carolina with an abdominal injury. Head coach Ed Orgeron told reporters on Tuesday that while Brennan had returned to practice on Monday, quote, we're still taking it day by day. He didn't do much yesterday. He's feeling much better, but I don't know if he's going to be ready to go, end quote. In his place would likely be freshman T.J. Finley, who went 17 for 21 for 265 yards and two touchdowns in the Tigers' win over the Gamecocks. One of the most improbable but best stories in not only the SEC but college football this year, the Arkansas Razorbacks will return to action after a bye week. Currently sitting at 2-2 two and two, and cough-cough with an argument that a bad officiating call stole from them a third win, New head coach Sam Pittman has given the Hogs as many SEC wins in four weeks as they'd had the past two seasons combined. The defense hasn't allowed more than three touchdowns in their four games, and they have a new quarterback. You may have heard of him, Felipe Franks. The Florida transfer is completing 64.9% of his passes and has eight touchdowns to three interceptions. Gators head coach Dan Mullen praised the turnaround on Monday, saying, quote, I know Arkansas has gone through a downswing and got a new coaching staff bringing some excitement and bringing some energy. Brought in a quarterback that has won a lot of games and knows how to win. When you look at that, that certainly has helped them." End quote. Franks and the Hogs have a chance to really burst onto the national stage this Saturday if they can pull off a win over number 8 Texas A&M in College Station. After a week off following their first loss of the season versus Alabama, the number four Georgia Bulldogs will gear up for the annual cocktail party by first facing the Kentucky Wildcats this Saturday. The Wildcats will be without starting quarterback Terry Wilson, who will miss the game with a wrist injury. Instead, Mark Stoops will turn to third-year Auburn Tigers transfer quarterback Joey Gatewood. And finally, grab your jar of pennies and stick them in the mail, addressed to Lane Kiffin at the Ole Miss football facility. The Rebels coach has been fined $25,000 by the SEC for retweeting a video showing the officials missed a call and the Rebs lost to Auburn on Saturday. During the game, Auburn muffed a kickoff return, which Ole Miss recovered in the end zone. Instead of it resulting in a Rebels touchdown for the win, however, officials said that the returner's hand never touched the ball and it was instead a touchback Auburn ball. 
Oh, and by the way, they decided not to review the play either, for reasons unknown to anyone this side of the Mississippi or heaven. The Tigers won, arguably their second win of the season on a bad call that went their way. Arkansas should be 3-1. and one. And on Monday, the SEC released a statement saying they had messed up and one, not reviewing the play, and two, getting the call wrong altogether. In the same statement, they went ahead and fined Lane Kiffin for retweeting the video correctly pointing out their mistake. SEC coaches are not allowed to comment on officiating decisions. Ever the PR spin man, Kiffin attempted to laugh off the painful missed call and alluded to his desire to pay the fine in pennies. So if you see an 18-wheeler backing down the downtown Birmingham street outside the SEC office this week, it's just Lane Kiffin honoring his punishment. That's all from me, Cassidy, and this whip around the SEC. All right, Cassidy, good report. Look forward to it next week. And now it's time for Andy's Candies, but don't ask me why. I'd like to sing a song for all of us Browns fans out you there. You know what? I don't want any more of these Browns patty songs. Cake, patty oh, cake, bakers oh, are man. Leading us to victory as fast as he can. Hollywood Higgins, Miles Garrett Sachs. Browns win, Browns win, Browns win, buddy. What a great Just day. so you did not you don't, you know, there's not three Browns fans within 500 miles of me, just so you know, okay? okay. So those are for the three Browns friends <laughs> and the people that hear us up in Cleveland, the four people up there. So let's get down to some more serious stuff. Uh, you made a little money last week on Andy's Candies, about time. Uh, I don't know what I did. I played the gambling gap, and I'm not really sure what I did or how I did. But where do you want to start today? You want to start with the SEC or you want to start with your special picture? Give us something, will you? Well, I think this week was a tough week. Um, next week is a big game. We talked about this offline. Florida, Georgia, Clemson, their name. So let's start there with my Irish. I'm going to start there. Wait, I had a hard it, time you don't need to games. say my Irish, okay? My Irish. This is not an auction. Is, We're not auctioning off teams. This is my segment. That's my <sighs> Irish. Thank you. Thank oh, so we're going to go fandom. Okay. We're, we're total. Total. I'm part of the team. All I'm right. Part All right. out the victory here. They play the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech, and they're not good. And even though in typical gambling fashion, you should never take this game before the big game. There's a fear of a letdown. I don't have that fear. You're giving away 20 points, but Georgia Tech's that bad. Even if they are looming to next week and they have a little bit of a letdown, I think they'll cover the 20 on the road in Atlanta. Take the Irish, giving away 20 against Georgia Tech. Can we get us some real football in the SEC, please? I, I don't know what you're speaking of. So let's go to the Big Ten. You know. Oh, my gosh. This is getting worse and worse and worse. You go from the Browns to Notre Dame to Big Ten. By the way, those three people that were listening to you, they just clicked off. Well, I'm going to bring them back. I'm here to cha- – we love – and I love the SEC, but I did not find any games I liked. No. Mm-mm. Big Ten, the Buckeyes and the Nittany Lions is the big game of the week. Never do this, folks, in the other year. But I saw Ohio State play. I saw Justin Fields play, and I saw Penn State play. I think Penn State will play tough in this game. You're giving up 12 points if you're Ohio State on the road. But Justin Fields is that special of a player. And I think Ohio State didn't even play their best game by a long shot last week against Nebraska. I think they'll play much better this week. Penn State's good. It's not about Penn State as much as about Ohio State. I, Justin Fields and that Garrett Wilson, I don't know if you saw him, buddy, he is going to be a star at wide receiver. Take, you're giving away 12 points on the road, but you'll be giving them and be fine. And then for a back-to-back Big Ten, the big game in Michigan, Michigan-Michigan State's a big rivalry, as Harbaugh's been talking up all week. 
when you lose to Rutgers, buddy, you take the you take the team that they're playing the following week. Michigan State lost at home to Rutgers. I know Graciano's back. That was alarming. And I was wrong about Michigan. They're much better than what I thought they were. You're giving up a ton of points. 24 and a half is a lot. I still think they'll cover. I all think right, that much. Of all right, all right, right. All right. I can't there take it go. anymore. I can't take oh, it anymore. Oh, come okay. On, you love this. No, I don't love it. I'm and ready to LSU Auburn is a game that might have been. It still might be decent, by the way. LSU is uh giving up a point and a half. Uh, you know, LA, Auburn's the luckiest team on the planet. I think here this you take you take the LSU Tigers in this game, in my opinion. And of course, the one in the swamp, we're all looking forward to to see what's gonna which show team's gonna show up yeah. for Florida. Number ten ranked Gators hosts go back in the swamp for the first time since the open since the second game of the season, and they take on a very improved Missouri team, which is scaring a lot of people. By the way, this Missouri team. Uh, so, so I don't know what you know about that game. Probably nothing. I can tell you, Missouri looked impressive last week on Kentucky. All they wanted, and they beat them. Uh, and now Florida has no idea what team is going to show up, even who is going to play after that uh, COVID. Uh, outbreak last week. So it's going to be very interesting. Talking to Urban Meyer earlier, he says, how in the world do you feel a team like Florida does when you couldn't even lift a finger last week to practice and you don't know what you got? So it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I agree. And Auburn LSU has got great history. The earthquake game, um, wonderful games usually um, down there. I, I sniffed that game. I just don't have a vibe on Auburn at all. I just don't. Um, I just don't have a vibe on that team. And I agree with you. They got a lucky call in that game. I was watching that game when it happened. They did win the game, though. I mean, you got to give credit to the people that take advantage. Yeah. And I agree. You said it all. It's. Um, I think Florida's going to win. It's just hard to get a guess, though, how that game's going to go. Yeah. So I stayed away from there. Okay. And I did a Texas two-step for my last one. Texas two-step. We all do that at some point, right? So Texas is playing Oklahoma State. This is just one I'm going off history. These games are always close. They're always very tight. Texas is a three and a half underdog. I try to take one dog or two dogs at least each week. This is my dog. Even though it's on the road, I like Texas in this game. I can't explain why. This is just pure historical. Take the Longhorns. You're going to get three and a half. I think that's what's going to be right around three or two points. I just get a vibe that they're going to win that game. And for everybody who knows, you always take the vibe here in Andy's Candy. Yeah, boy. I got you. Helped you a lot two weeks ago, didn't it? When you were 0-4, that was a good vibe. But I will say you're coming back a little bit at a time. Uh, And we'll see where you're going. By the way, I'm having a conversation with a real handicapper this weekend, a guy that uh, knows his stuff. And I'll let you know when I talk to him about what we need to do in terms of game. I'll get Danny Sheridan's opinion on a few games that I'll be oh, able yeah. to really give you some picks next week. So I, I, I have some Skittles for him, some fine Godaba mm, copy yeah, here yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. Mandy's Candies. Yeah. We got the good stuff from Mr. Sheridan. I know who that is. That is yeah. the Willy Wonka yeah. of picking. All right, listen, Andy, I had about enough, okay? That's oh. all I can take. And uh, so uh, thank you very much for Andy's Candies. Uh, don't bother sending me any Skittles. I'm on a diet. Uh, and if you're lucky, I'll talk to you next week. All right? Go Browns, oh, baby. No. Oh, Beat no. the Vegas Raiders. Goodbye. Sorry, folks. Well, now it's time for Buddy's two-minute warning. But first, let me just thank all the people making the best Friday in football. I should say that right. It's the best Fridays in football possible. That includes Gator Bait Lighthouse Builders, Truth, Honor, and Dignity. Dr. Jim Duke, the Orthopedic Institute. 
Sissy Long, in memory of her beloved, beloved Chuck. Lauren Meadows, in Ohio, rooting for the Gators and for equality. Jeffrey Meldon, Meldon Law, where you matter most. Max Steen, former Gator captain, pulling for Coach Mullen, but keeping the 69 Gators in his heart always. And Jeff Ulmer, loyal to the Gators, the Hatters, Gator Bait, and Ocala Quarterback Club. And the Ocala Quarterback Club, sponsor of the Scott Brantley Trophy, and Mike McGinnis, captain. Rest our medical research seeking tomorrow's answers to the health questions of today. Time now for my two-minute warning. I have mixed feelings about the zebras. I've never known a crooked official, although I've seen a few incompetent ones. Mostly, though, they're like Mike McGinnis, who I had on my show earlier this week, streaming the Buddy Martin Show. Honest, dedicated, passionate. Passionate about getting it right. Really could care less which team wins. Yet human knowing they will not be perfect. The question becomes then, how do we deal with this? Should there be some kind of punitive action when one of the officials blows a game? I'm going to have to say I agree with Urban Meyer's suggestion that when an official gets it bad wrong and his or her call costs the team the game, the public has a right to know his or her name. As he said, if it's proper enough for the 18-year-olds, then it's proper enough for the 55-year-olds. It was an atrocious decision not to replay the questionable punt deflection by Auburn last week. And on that count, I hold the whole league culpable. After all, that Auburn Ole Miss game was on back in the Birmingham SEC office, and nobody called down to stop and review. For that reason, I'm seriously thinking of sending my jar of pennies to Lane Kiffin this week to help defray the cost of the $25,000 fine levied by the SEC for Kiffin's tweets. And by the way, shouldn't the SEC also be fining itself, or at least telling us who the culprit is? We hope you're enjoying Best Fridays in Football with Urban Meyer. Hopefully, Terry Bradshaw will be back with us soon. On behalf of director Brendan Martin and executive producer Andy Billman, thanks to Carlos Alvarez and Cassidy Hill for joining us. I'm Buddy Martin, and you've been listening to one of the best Fridays in football. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.